Well, welcome to Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Savalero, and back by popular demand. Always missed, always imitated, but never duplicated. Our co-host, Kelly Grayson. KG, how you doing? I'm good, man. I got got my uh, special assignments handled and, and, and back in the saddle. It's good to be back. You are the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. We've already said that. We know that. Um, so how are things going with you, man, down there in world-famous pick in Louisiana? How's the classes going? Uh, it's, it's going well. We're about to wrap up, wrap up the uh, first EMT 360 class and, and uh, uh, start a, another couple of them uh, in a month or so, so. So just that you think, you know, this was something that was different that you, Nancy mm-hmm. McGee, uh, Dan Lemmer was involved, I believe. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of doing things a little bit differently. Instead of yeah. taking the book from the beginning, you're kind of opening the book up where things are a little bit more uh, substance of substance. And then you're kind of uh-huh. bringing those things back in on the on the back end. You're getting them into clinicals a lot quicker where they yeah. can have more patient interaction. Can you give us a little bit of insight as far as how that uh, you know how that pilot has gone, and and what you've learned from it. Well, the the pilot didn't go as well as we wanted it to, um, because there were some unforeseen difficulties in in implementing it. But uh, we're we're we have everything in place to to do exactly what we envisioned on the second one. Um, uh, right as we uh, started the course. Uh, three of our main clinical sites went through um, management changes and, and acquisitions, which which necessitated some management changes. So we had to renegotiate our clinical contracts with three of our sites. So our clinicals began much, much later than we wanted them to. Uh, and now our, our students have still gotten uh, a good deal more clinical time uh, and patient contacts than they have in our previous classes, but nowhere near what we envisioned. And that gave us a few problems as far as, as context and pattern recognition, because we expected them to be a little further along in recognizing things uh, just because they had seen it in the field. Um, but uh, I think that's something that'll be easily addressed with uh, uh, with the next class, and, and we'll make sure that we get them started with clinicals in week three like we had already envisioned it was uh they were they were a good deal further along um uh, this time before they could start clinicals and we learned a learned a lesson or two about some of the things that we do we front load and, and put ahead and 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 uh that didn't really work out uh, i think we're going to move the pathophysiology uh portion of the class back to where it originally was um but otherwise, uh, these students have been, they've responded well, and, and uh, they're, they're kind of getting, digging the, the groove of experiential learning. Um, it's just not, as, uh, as, not as, as advanced as we wanted them to be, and, and hopefully the next class will be even better. Well, when you think about things like this, of course, you know, name the one thing you ever did the first time that you did yeah, with, with right. absolute expertise, yeah. right? So, you know, yeah. the, these aren't failures as much as they are learning opportunities oh, to say, yeah. this is how you tweak this process. Now, you talked a little bit about the, the education and the, and the pathophysiology, um, you know, as far as the didactic portion of it went. Um, so a little bit that you've learned from there is maybe you shouldn't start as soon or maybe you need to start a little bit sooner. I, I didn't kind of understand what you were going with that, with the pathophysiology. Yeah. yeah, well, we, we, our intention early on was to, to, uh, 
front load a, a lot of the skills uh, uh, objectives, the, the psychomotor objectives of each individual chapter and teach these guys uh, how to do um, uh, the skills needed of an EMT um, and, and worry so mu- and not worry so much about, uh, about the why until the EMRs rolled into the class at the halfway point. And then we would, we would revisit some topics and, and, uh, and cover, cover the why um, in a little more detail during our knowledge integration sessions and, and our scenarios, you know, and in a, in a scenario wrap up and this is why we do this. And, and, we figured that they would have the context from having seen real patients uh, to be able to understand it then. Um, and I think that that the way I teach and, and the way Nancy teaches, I think the students um, could could still benefit from having a, a really strong pathophysiology background uh, earlier in the course, like we've done it in the past traditionally. And, you know, when I, when I say we're disappointed with this class, we're not disappointed with it. It didn't go the way we wanted it to. Um, but that still uh, doesn't mean that the students are, are not going to be successful. But just for, just from a logistical lock their national registry exam, like just like all of our students. Have. Sure, but just from a logistical standpoint, you're talking about yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, didn't quite meet our vision, but it's uh, the next one is it, we're we're ready to rock with it, and we don't have any of the obstacles that uh, uh, in uh, against us that we we had with this class. So. Well, you know, I you know, and, and cheers to you. You know, I mean, I think that. You know, this is probably the only time that we hear of, of students being taught, initial students being taught with a different flavor, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, as you now are, are polishing this process, this, this could be the process of the future. And, I'll, you, I'll know, hope so. you know, and, and you just continue to do what you're doing and just brief us on what you're doing because, you know, my foundation, you know, is in EMS education. And when I think about what you guys are doing from a innovation standpoint, And of course, you know, you're a a premier educator in the United States. Dan Limmer's a premier educator in the United States. And if this is something that eventually works out into the uh, future of EMS, you know, there's, uh, you know, a Golden Globe or Academy Award that needs to go down to you guys for changing the process. I mean, you and I have complained (laughs) for a lot of years about how students are being taught. And we were hoping mm-hmm. that somebody would listen and make a change. Well, in the absence of somebody else making the change, Kelly Grayson, you know, you got together with some formidable allies to say, well, let's just make a change and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And, and we look forward to collaborating with Dan even even more in the next class because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, a fan of, of Limmer's innovation and, and ideas, and I, I steal from him regularly. Uh, <laughs> imitation is the sincerest form of flattery in that regard. So I, uh, I plagiarize without a hesitation from, from Dan and try to run with some of his ideas and give it our own flavor. But his new textbook is out now, the, the Limmer fourth, uh, 14th edition of Emergency Care. And it has, uh, he's, he's done with his textbook what we're trying to do with the EMT class itself. He has totally changed and revamped the format. Uh, and, and the way things are taught in this class and the order in which they're taught. Uh, and I think it's going to dovetail excellently with, uh, with the way we do EMT 360. Um, so uh, we may be changing textbooks. At the very least, Nancy will probably be changing textbooks. I, I may stick with, the, uh, with the, the textbook I'm currently using. But uh, we're, we're looking forward to playing with this new uh, textbook with dance. Very cool. Well, let's go ahead and transition one of the yeah. things that we wanted to talk about, of course, is what's on everybody's lips, 
and Inside EMS, The Chris and Kelly Show, want to answer the question, Corona disease and Lyme disease, the new power couple, yes or no? <laughs> no, but we do want to just touch on a little bit of the coronavirus because people are kind of up in arms and people in the yeah. community, we're starting to see some in the United States. I was actually um, supposed to head to Europe, Italy, actually, in April that I may have to change that um, change that trip. But one of the things that we wanted to talk about is is really safety from an EMS standpoint when it comes to dealing with the patients, interacting with the community, interacting mm-hmm. with patient with people in the hospitals. And I think that we have to change a little bit of how we do our business. Kelly, I was telling you before we started that uh, you know I'm doing a better job of paying attention to washing my hands, which I've always done, especially using the restroom. And but then we're turning off the we're turning off the water and we're touching that thing. Then I need to wash my hands again, or we're opening the door uh, of the restroom, and you know now we've touched our hands again and uh, touched our hands to outside contaminants again or possible contaminants again. And uh, I counted yesterday just for you know doing the show. I just wanted to see what I did after I washed my hands. Um, you know, I touched 15 different things before I washed my hands mm-hmm. again. And then I put my hands to my face 114 times as I ticked them off just to kind of see what I was doing. Um, you know, so I think that I just want to pay attention to awareness because as we talk about hand washing and EMS providers should be the best at hand washing. And, uh, one of the best practices that uh, I used to do in my EMT courses when it came to hand washing is you have a class on the best way to wash your hands. And then I would let people go over to the sink, but not before putting a gob of peanut butter in their hands and uh, making sure that they clean their hands the right way, you know. Um, but uh, yeah. but I, I just want to talk about some of the things that I think we take for granted that could be causing problems for EMS providers as we try to be as safe as we can. And, you know, certainly this isn't the let's scare everybody to death and it's time to change the practice of, uh, you know, now we need to wear masks to work and... Uh, all those things, but I think we just have to change our mindset of how mm-hmm. we're doing our regular things that we do every day. Yeah, I I, I fully agree because you know the the COVID nineteen the coronavirus is 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 certainly uh, uh, according to most of the reports more virulent and infectious than the flu. But as far as, as its severity, it, it pales in comparison to plain old simple flu. Uh, I, I think uh, last night, the latest report I saw were 38 confirmed U.S. cases with 11 fatalities, and, and almost all of those were the typical flu fatality victims, people with, with uh, significant um, chronic medical issues and, and the elderly and that sort of thing. But, but the infectious control procedures that we have in place right now in healthcare and EMS are probably going to be sufficient to controlling coronavirus. If we actually follow them, but that's the problem. Most of us, we, we, we pay lip service to infection control and, and I'm guilty of it as, as anyone else. I, you know, I, I tell people my immune system will attack squirrels in the backyard, uh, but it's probably never encountered COVID-19. So I, I, I can't say that, that I'm going to be safe, uh, with the, the sometimes haphazard, uh, uh, approach to, to, um, uh, infectious control and, and, and uh, health and hygiene that we sometimes practice. I mean, you know as well as I do, Chris, we talk about hand washing and everyone in the EMS knows they're supposed to wash their hands after every call. But do they? You know, uh, or, or do you, do you uh, well, you know, I didn't even touch the patient on that call and, and I'm going to make do with some alcohol hand sanitizer at that. And 
uh, or or we do wash our hands and but we don't consider the the nasty bottom of our uh, response bag, our first ten bag that we then sit on top of the stretcher, um, and we we uh, we miss so many things. You know, we we've got those little endoscopes that we intubate people with that they're supposed to have the blades immersed in in uh, an antiviral, antibacterial uh, phenolic solution for 24 hours before they're put back into service, and most of us just brush the vomit chunks out of it, wipe it down with a with a Sidex wipe, and and put it back in the bag. We know better than these things, but we do them anyway. And I think something like uh, coronavirus is one of those things going to trip us up uh, if we if we're not actually following those sterile procedures. But I think it goes even deeper than that as well. I mean, you know, certainly the you know when we think about uh, dealing with patients, we need to probably take that different mindset. Like you said, have I taken my gloves off when I've driven when I've been the driver to the hospital and used the uh, you know the use the foam on my hands, bore the, of course I have. And yeah. uh, there were times back in the old days, that, I mean, were we washing our hands after every call? I can't tell you, I was washing my hands yeah. after every call, yeah. right? But then as we start to gain a little bit more knowledge, but here's where I tripped myself up yesterday, because in preparation for the show, I tried to just pay attention to this. So I went to the supermarket, uh, I have a, a, a refrigerator in my office, and I like to keep yogurts in there and juices and things like that. So I went to the supermarket, I grabbed a cart, I went around and did my business. I checked out. I exchanged money. I went back to my car. Um, then I stopped at McDonald's and I got a, a, a shake. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get some French fries. So I got some French fries. And on my way back to the office, what did I do? Reached in the bag, took some of those French fries and just started to eat them like you normally do on a trip home. And then I realized, you know what? I must have had 10 or 12 different touch points that I should have washed my hands before I put those put that food in my mouth. You know, the the touching of the cart and the reaching for um, different uh, um, you know different items and exchanging money at the supermarket, getting back into my car. So outside of mm -hmm. our normal awareness of being in EMS and dealing with patients, which may be heightened, I think the normal things that we call habits may be the challenge for us as well. Yeah, you know, mindfulness is is the the word that occurs to me, and and uh, like you said, you didn't realize how many times you touched your face or mouth after in in normal activities, even after you washed your hands, and and that's a point we drive home to our students. So we'd love to do this in, in initial classes and in our refreshers, especially to EMTs who've gotten kind of lax in their their personal hygiene procedures. Uh, we stole some ideas from from David Pfeiffer. Uh, uh, at uh, Eastern Kentucky University, I saw an exercise he did with glow germ gel, and and Nancy and I liked that, and, and we incorporated glow germ kits into our all our teaching because um, this this is really drives home the point of of uh, how easily these droplets and such are spread. And if you're not familiar with glow germ, it's it's an invisible. Uh, uh, you can get powder spray or or a, a gel that dries clear. Um, and put it on things, and it fluoresces under UV light. So we'll treat uh, everyday objects with these things, and we'll put, teach people, uh, uh, we'll get them to put the, the gel on their gloves and then, and then uh, 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 doff the gloves and see how much of the, the infectious material they got on themselves. And invariably, someone is getting something on themselves, even with, with gloves on. And one of the, the twists we do to it is, is we also 
booby trap the bathrooms, we uh, we spread a little glow germ uh, dust or the, the the gel on the inside door handles and the faucet handles, the nastiest parts of the bathroom that everyone uh, you know no, is supposed to know not to touch without their without a paper towel barrier or something. Uh, and see how many people recontaminated themselves after washing their hands. And God, it's 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 funny, but it's disheartening as well if this were a real uh, a real virus. And what was uh, particularly instructional was we taught a class at the hospital, uh, and we we wound up getting glow germ gel all over the bathroom. And you can't see this stuff in the in regular light. Uh, but it shows up like a Jackson Pollock painting uh, in in UV light, and this bathroom was was pretty liberally doused in this stuff. And we came back a month later, and and people used that building and used that classroom and bathroom on a regular basis. Came back a month later, and that glow germ gel was still there. That bathroom hadn't been cleaned in a month. It didn't look visibly soiled, but if that was uh, a bathroom used and, and there were infectious agents uh, spread all over it, it would still be there. It would still be there. And that sort of thing happens uh, because, you know, how often do you get housekeeping come through and, and, and really disinfect something that they weren't told uh, had been contaminated? Hardly ever. You know, they'll, they'll run a mop through it and they'll visually inspect it and, and, and leave it at that. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to test us if it, if it takes off here. Um, right. No, we're well, actually going to have to start put, put it, speaking our truth to power here uh, and, and doing it the way we say we should be doing it. Well, I mean, I think the, what we have to know is that it will happen here and it, it is going to be pretty bad. We, we've got it on both coasts right now and it's going to work its way in, into the states. You know, I'm here in Missouri and there are cases already popping up in Illinois. So we've got to be able to pay attention to that. But, you know, again, it, it, it's those everyday things that we do as well. I mean, Kelly... Uh, you know, there. I remember I worked at an EMS system where they told us, you know, we had to have yeah. our gloves on when we went to a call, or we had to keep our gloves on when, you know, we were on the way to the hospital. And I would take my gloves off and I would put on a new pair of gloves. But how many people are getting in the ambulance and keeping their gloves on and then touching the steering wheel? We don't think about disinfecting the steering wheel. We don't think about disinfecting our stethoscope. Remember, we're touching that stethoscope with our gloves. And we're not, you know, disinfecting them or a lot of people don't disinfect them after the call. You know, we're, we're sometimes we in our electronic and our EPCRs, we're giving people a pen or we're giving people a stylus out of our pocket and having them sign. And uh, I got a call from a friend yesterday who said, what about these masks? Should I, should I wear a mask? And I said, well, the masks aren't yeah. really going to work. But then I thought about it yesterday and I told you that I did that little study of how many times I touched my face which worked out to be 114 times in a two-hour period, um, if I had a mask on my face, it would make me more cognizant of touching my face as well. So even, yeah. though, even yeah. though they're saying that these masks aren't going to work, do you put them on just in the sense of, of habit? Uh, certainly if people are showing flu symptoms, we want to put those masks on those folks. But I, I told my friend, I said, if it makes you feel more comfortable, just wear it and it makes no difference what other people are going to think. The experts are saying it's not going to help because of particles, blah, blah, blah. You know, you could order some of those, uh, some of the ones online. They're a little bit more clothy with the charcoal filters in them. If it makes you feel better, yeah. uh, if it makes your family feel better, uh, I don't know that we should be knocking them. But, you know, now that's causing a problem, too, because people are stealing those masks and they don't have enough masks to go around for the people who really need them for surgical procedures, yeah. infectious procedures. 
and we've got to be cognizant of that. But I, I, I don't know that this is the, you know, from an EMS standpoint, you and I sit here and we're not raising an alarm of, oh my gosh, this is mm-hmm. the end of the world. Uh, the sky is falling. But man, what a great training it is for us to change mm-hmm. some of our practices to say, are we being as aseptic as we can? Yeah, it's and is that and the right word? Like, is that the right word? Aseptic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, I think uh, I think that that's a, a appropriate word. And and I like the point about the mask making you uh, more cognizant of, of what it, what you're doing. And and you know we're we're back to the word mindfulness. You know you you that mask is a is a visible and, and tactile reminder that you need to be more careful. Uh, and, and actually observe the the hygiene procedures that we we've already been taught. Uh, and I'll add to that uh, eye protection. You know, even if if COVID nineteen the particles are, are not going to be effectively stopped by an N ninety five mask or a surgical mask, um, uh, we stand a significantly higher chance of of getting viral infections from from things in our eyes. Uh, and we don't often protect our eyes as much as we need to on these calls. I know my employer requires us to carry wraparound uh, eye protection to protect those, uh, uh, protect our peepers on every call, but rarely do we use them outside of uh, a a known call where there's a a body splash uh, hazard, a fluid splash hazard. So um, we're, we're, we're still out there working in a cardiac arrest with your face right over someone else's face, uh, peering down their, their airway, looking for their vocal cords uh, and, and not wearing a mask until someone, you know, elbows you like, dude, you should be wearing that. And you go, oh, yeah, geez, man, I forgot, man, force a habit. Uh, but this is a habit that is going to trip us up uh, with COVID-19 because as it, infectious as it appears to be, imagine how, how this is going to, to work if it starts affecting some people in healthcare or people in EMS, you know, with the latency period that it has, they're quarantining people for, for 14 days. Um, with the latency period that it has, imagine one of us getting exposed to, to COVID-19 and becoming infected uh, and all the people we're going to encounter in our, our in the course of work in a day. Um, it's, ugh. Imagine the, the the effect that's going to have uh, to heck with the fatality rate and how sick it's going to make people logistically. What a bear that is going to be to manage if you uh, expose half a dozen or a dozen of your coworkers and they expose a half a dozen more. Um, what's that going to do logistically to an EMS system in, in a major city? It's uh, it's not pretty to uh, to think about. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What precautions are your agency taking for COVID-19? Do you think that your current infectious control procedures are enough if you actually follow them? Or are you trying something novel and something new? And how are you making your employees aware of the potential risks? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. For myself and co-host Chris Cibolero, a man that touches his face entirely too much, but hey, he's Italian. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.